don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I tend to do things that I think will be useful. I have breakfast because I think it will give me energy. Uh, I then brush my teeth to try and keep them healthy. Uh, I put on clothes because I kind of figure other people will probably appreciate me doing that. My point is, I think we tend to do things, don't we, that we believe will have some value. All of which makes it somewhat puzzling that we spend so much time worrying. As Jesus put it in this passage in Matthew 6, who of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his life? The answer is, none of us can. Corrie ten Boom, who sheltered Jews in German-occupied Holland in the Second World War and was then imprisoned in a concentration camp, she knew more worrying circumstances than most. And she ended up concluding, worry does not rid tomorrow of its sorrows, but it does rob today of its joy. So why do we worry? Well, I think there are all kinds of reasons. Some of them are healthy reasons, like if your house is on fire, worry is part of our body's defence mechanism and is a bit of a lifesaver. But there are also a whole bunch of not-so-healthy reasons why we worry. Perhaps something happened in our past to trigger worry in certain situations. It could be explained by biological causes in our body. Perhaps it's linked with significant depression or maybe our personality predisposes us to be more anxious. And I think for many of us, it's just become this habitual way of thinking that we've got trapped in. The reality is, worry is a real problem for real people, which perhaps explains why Jesus' thrice-repeated instruction not to worry in Matthew 6 here has actually caused a lot of anguish for a lot of people who simply can't stop worrying. But in many ways, I think actually we should find this instruction from Jesus deeply reassuring. I mean, if Jesus encouraged us instead to worry about everything, that really would be worrying, wouldn't it? You may beg to differ. I'm massively helped by the fact that Jesus doesn't offer impotent advice like just try as hard as you can not to worry or hopefully things will get better at some point in the future. It's a huge relief. He offers powerful instruction that makes for real and lasting life change. So please, don't let the fact that Jesus appears to be claiming that it is possible to live free of unhealthy worry, to be the source of condemnation, guilt, or even anger. Instead, why don't you at least hear Jesus out and with the help of the Holy Spirit, seek to take on board the principles that he teaches here in this passage. Just to recap then, over the last couple of weeks, we've reminded ourselves of some truths that can act as counterweights to our worry. Things like the truth that God cares for us and we're valuable to him. He's our father. He's well able to provide everything we need. We've also seen, haven't we, how Jesus shows a way out of 
bondage to worry by equipping us to separate our worries into different categories, solvable worries and floating worries. Uh, things we can do something about today and then hypothetical what-ifs about the future that really we can't do a whole lot about. What I want us to look at today, though, is what Jesus says in verses 30 to 32. He says, And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what we eat, what we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now this is absolutely huge. Because I think the majority of our unhealthy worries about tomorrow are fueled, aren't they, by uncertainty. And frustratingly, life is full of uncertainties. Like, will I always be healthy? Or will my family always be safe? Or am I doing the right thing with my life? Or should I have done something differently? But Jesus here is teaching us not to run, not to pursue, not to seek after, not to be dominated by the need for certainty around all of those things. Now, all of these different descriptive words I've just used, they feature in different translations of this verse, that they all suggest a level of desperate obsession but arguably, the, the strongest of all of those words is the word run. You see, for Jesus' first century audience, the idea of running was disgraceful and improper. It showed that a man had lost sight of himself and his dignity, which incidentally is part of the reason why the running father in the story of the prodigal son is so incredibly powerful. The father throws to one side his dignity, his self-respect, and runs arms open wide to embrace his wayward son. Why? Because he's overwhelmed with love for him. Doesn't care what others think, he just wants to embrace him. But returning to the passage we're looking at here, Jesus is making a distinction between running desperately after things and trusting awareness that your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And really, all I want to do in the time that remains today is help you see that so many of the things we worry about are a fruitless chasing after an impossible certainty. More than that, I want to see that striving for certain security isn't just irrational and fruitless, actually it undermines the very nature of God's good character. First of all then, I want to see that the whole quest for certainty is fundamentally 
and deeply flawed, which is going to be hard for some of us to accept because we love to be certain about things, don't we? Not least because it makes us feel safe and comfortable. But I think it's probably fair to say that this thing is the root of a lot of our anxiety. It's like we have this desperate desire, don't we, to know for sure that everything will work out okay, which is a bit of a problem. Because if you think about it, not one single second of your life has been a certainty. Not one. We've lived with uncertainty since we were born. It's just that through life, we deceive ourselves into thinking that really we're in control. But the truth is, your future has been uncertain every single second of every single day. You haven't had the ability to fully determine your future at any point in your life. And at different stages in our life, at different stages in the economy, at different stages in our job and family life and health, we get these little glimpses into how uncertain things really are. And I think that's been amplified many times over, hasn't it, by the whole coronavirus pandemic. The whole time that the media have been trying to deal with the burning questions we're asking Am I going to be okay? Is it going to affect me and my lifestyle for long? How will this impact my family? How will it impact my finances, my health? When will things fully get back to normal again? When they eventually find a vaccine, how long will it take to immunise everyone? And will it even work? All of which are legitimate questions, but nobody seems to know the answers. And that uncertainty is a breeding ground for worry and anxiety. But what if we heeded Jesus' counsel here and refused to allow these thoughts to dominate our minds? Now, in reality, this isn't optional for followers of Jesus. You see, Jesus says that this quest for certainty is understandable for unbelievers, but his followers are to be different. We're to be people of faith, which means putting our confidence in things we don't see, things we don't fully understand, things we don't fully know. What's more, the life that Jesus calls us into isn't characterised by comfort and security, but by risk. Remember, Jesus invited people to take up their cross and follow him. That was pretty risky. And it wasn't mere rhetoric. The disciples were were living in a culture that challenged and opposed them and ultimately crucified their saviour and ours. It's a risky life, the life of a follower of Jesus. So first things first, the quest for certainty and comfort is deeply flawed. 
The second thing I wanna show you is that in the midst of all this uncertainty and risk, this passage does show us one thing we can be certain of. And if we get it, I suggest it's a bit of a game changer. Jesus says something here that is absolutely astonishing. He makes a claim that, if true, has the power to set us free from all of our worries. Jesus says in verse 32, your heavenly father already knows your needs, which coupled with his assurance in verse 30 that he will certainly care for you is the foundation on which we can start to live a life free from the tyranny of worry. Just let that sink in. Your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. And in the midst of all of the uncertainties of life that fuel so much of our worry, we're told by no lesser authority than Jesus himself that he will certainly care for you. Be honest. Wouldn't it make a huge difference if you were to live your life with this belief. I mean, just imagine if before you went to sleep tonight, an angel appeared in your bedroom and said to you, God knows. That's what the angel said, God knows. Would that change your life? Wouldn't that be like extraordinarily comforting? even if your circumstances don't change, wouldn't knowing that change everything for you? Even if you haven't a clue what's waiting around the corner, even if you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, wouldn't this knowledge that God knows give you strength to keep going? I mean, if he knows, I don't need to try and work it all out and worry about all the possible outcomes. Now look, an angelic visitation would be nice. Might be a little scary, but it would be nice. But I'd humbly suggest we don't actually need one. See, Jesus tells us here, in no uncertain terms, he knows. He knows that you need these things, which means that you don't need to waste time worrying about them. I tell you, if you could just come to this simple conclusion, really believe that, that God knows what I need, he knows about the loneliness, he knows about the stress, he knows about what's happened in the past, he knows about my health, he knows everything. If you could just settle this one today, it has the potential to totally transform your life. But here's where I think we perhaps get stuck with all of this. We know that God can, but we're not so sure whether he will. We know God can take care of us, 
but we're not completely convinced he will. We know God can provide for us. He can look after our future, but we're not so sure he will. Which is where it helps to keep in mind that God is all loving, all powerful and all knowing. He's all three all of the time. You see, I think a lot of the time, a lot of our anxiety comes to the surface when we're not so convinced he's all three all of the time. Like if he's all powerful and all knowing, but we're not completely sure he's all loving, then that's not particularly reassuring, is it? Or maybe he's all loving and all knowing, but he's not all powerful. He's just kind of rooting for us, but can't ultimately do anything to help. That's not so comforting either, is it? Or if he's all loving and all powerful, but he's not all knowing, then he's constantly getting caught out or confused, or he's always going to be late, which potentially adds to our worry rather than easing it. But what if he was all three? Jesus says, come on, do you believe that your heavenly father knows you need these things? And do you believe that he's got all the power needed to do something about it? And do you believe that he loves you? I mean, really loves you. Do you believe it? Now, sometimes, let's be honest, our experience contradicts that, doesn't it? Or at least our sense of our experience contradicts that. Like, if he's all loving, then why isn't this thing different? Or if he's all knowing, then why doesn't he do something about that? Or if he's all powerful, then why is he allowing this to happen? Interested in the answer? Well, without wishing to come across as unnecessarily harsh or insensitive, I reckon it's because you are not as all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving as he is. That's probably why you don't understand. But since he is all of those things, I'd suggest you can trust him, even when it might feel as though things are falling apart around you. So, what is stopping you settling this one today. What more do you need to hear? I mean, it's written here in bold type, isn't it? It is God's word. He hasn't changed and he's not going to. He knows precisely what you need. At the end of the day, I suggest the issue probably is one of faith. As Jesus puts it here in verse 30, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Jesus would simply invite you today to trust him. Because the issue of worry is ultimately an issue of faith. It's one of confidence in God. Why don't you just dream with me for a moment? Just imagine. What would your life look like? If you woke up tomorrow morning completely, utterly, 100% confident that God loved you, will keep on loving you, and because he loves you, will look after you, provide for you, and take care of you, what would your life be like? And what would you worry about? 
you wouldn't stop worrying because suddenly the future was certain. You wouldn't stop worrying because you knew what was going to happen the next day. You wouldn't stop worrying because all risk had suddenly been eliminated. You would stop worrying because you were trusting in your Heavenly Father rather than trusting in your own ability to predict the future and make it all all right. Jesus says, Your Heavenly Father will certainly care for you. So I've tried to show you, not one single second of your life has been a certainty. Not one. And Jesus says, look, has God been faithful to you through all of those past uncertainties? The economy has changed. Governments have come and gone. Culture has changed. Your circumstances keep on changing. But what about God? Has he changed? No. Through all the turmoil, through all the uncertainty, he remains the same. He will certainly care for you. So, why do you have so little faith? As I draw to a close, let me ask you. Are you willing to trust today that God can take care of you? Or in your heart of hearts, do you still assume that God's indifferent and ultimately it's still up to you? Because if it's still up to you, I hate to say it, but you will be anxious for the rest of your life. But you don't have to live that way. Because your Heavenly Father is all-powerful and he loves you and he already knows all your needs and he will certainly care for you. And if you can live from now on with that certainty, it has the power to change everything for you. Now, if you're watching this, and maybe in your heart of hearts you still struggle to believe this could ever totally be true for you. Maybe it feels pretty hopeless, pretty bleak, pretty dark. You, you can't see a way out. I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, my encouragement to you is to think of this as a journey. And think of it in terms of months, not days. You may take one step forward and then two steps back, but don't beat yourself up about it. Don't be impatient. Be kind to yourself. It will settle in time if you take appropriate steps. So think of it as a journey. And then my second and probably most important encouragement would be that this isn't a journey that you need to take alone. Please, don't allow feelings of being ashamed or embarrassed or awkward or fearful steal from you the support that you need in order to recover. It's far better that you get the help you need than to stay where you are because you're too nervous to ask for help. My best advice, if this is an acute problem for you, something you struggle to shake free from, my best advice is to go to your GP. You know, I think most people leave it way too long to instigate help. If this is something that you really struggle with and you haven't yet spoken to your GP about it, why don't you book an appointment this week? I really don't want anyone misunderstanding 
what I've been teaching in this series. I'm certainly not wanting to present it as a choice between praying and asking God for help or alternatively seeking medical help as though they're two conflicting approaches. No, both are vitally important and everything I've been saying goes hand in hand with receiving proper support from your GP. On top of that, if you're watching this and you'd appreciate some more support from the church in any way, we'd love to hear from you. If you're part of the church here, please reach out to one of the leaders. Again, why don't you make contact this week? Or if you're watching from slightly further afield, although we're not trained counsellors or therapists, we are more than happy to provide a listening ear and would love to pray with you. If that'd be helpful, please feel free to email us at hello at churchcentral.org.uk. All that being said, walking out of anxiety is a journey that you can definitely win, but it is a journey we all do better with when we get help. <laughs>